This is the Chiefs' official podcast network. Take advantage of the day. When you get an opportunity in this game, you make a play. The playmakers on three. One, two, three. Touchdown, Kansas City. The Chiefs are right in the thick of it, baby. Well, welcome to this next edition of Defending the Kingdom. Refitting the backpack. We're getting ready to climb the hill again. The Super Bowl 54 champion Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, We're full-fledged into the combine now and getting ready for free agency and the draft as we move on. Mitch Holter's with you, the voice of the Chiefs, along with the man that they call the shop, uh, the barbershop, Spider-Man, 10-year National Football League veteran, Sean Barber. We're refitting the backpack, my friend. I put it on Twitter, and people are like, man, they look confused. (laughs) I I did look confused. I told everybody you got to apologize for my posture. I got a lot of young kids, and they asked me, hey, Dad, your your back all crunched over, bent over. Is that that pop-up posture to have? And I said, no, man, you're supposed to put your shoulders back, stand up tall, put your head up, be proud of what you're doing and who you are. Um, and all those things. I mean, I'm, I'm so excited to get back in the lab with you yes, sir. Um, and be able to talk about us refitting that backpack, especially this time of year, right? The combine is right around the corner. Mm. We get to see athletes from the college level get back on that field, get back in front of the gyms, um, trying to open eyes, uh, make a future for themselves. Um, and and some, some guys from small schools like myself prove a lot of people wrong. That's the coolest thing about this league to me, and I love it. I love to follow football at every level. We see dudes from the MIAA. We love yeah. the league, the Division II league. There's there's cats from that league all around the league. Uh, you see guys from any high schools. And, um, but we're in the combine now. Soon there will be pro days. Pro days begat uh, free agency, the shopping season, and then the draft. So the NFL does not stop, does not sleep, nor do the Kansas City Chiefs. We're just sharpening the pickaxe yes. for that next climb up the mountain. Today we're going to focus on, and we're doing this over the next nine weeks or so to get you up to the draft, is every position group. You can go back if you missed it. It's archived. You can get our discussion on the defensive line and uh, all of the vast discussions there. And we're going to talk today about the offensive line. First of all, this is this is really intriguing. I talked about Jenny Gray Watkins in St. Louis. Works out, listen to this. When I said that, some other folks were, were texting me going, well, we work out too. A guy that's a three-time deployed lieutenant colonel, um, it, he goes, well, I work out to it too. So what do we got here? <laughs> what do we got? Barbershop? We hey, got man. maybe a workout audio here. Hey, or man, it's a melting pot, man. Whenever you bring two guys that have great ideas, um, man, your, your knowledge of the game, your knowledge of the Chiefs um, about – Every level of football, you talk about, it's not just college. I'm talking about every high school in this area. Everybody can hear my voice. If you got a high school and a mascot, you text it to us. <laughs> and, and I guarantee Mitch, the voice, knows the mascot to go with the school. Um, it's phenomenal. I think he's on a, a 250 <laughs> out of 250 tab right now in our local radio stations whenever they challenge him with the local school. But it's phenomenal um, to see people working out, get motivated. Because, we, I mean, at the end of the day, man, we bring the truth. I mean, yes, sir. We, 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 we definitely, we love to see our team, our championship team get better. We want to talk about how they are going to continue to get better in the trenches um, with the offensive line this week. Um, but the one thing that we always do, man, we, we bring it we bring it real, man. Like I use my 10 years of uh, NFL experience, the things I've seen on the field, the things I've seen as a scout, the things I've seen um, as a coaching intern, and I melt all that together. And I take some of the stuff from, from, from you, some information from you, some leadership from you, and we just pound it out, man. Like you said, we just sharpening all those tools um, so that by the time it's time for that season to get rolling, man, we're going 100 miles an hour. Well, the Chiefs' kingdom is wired to to go for a repeat. Everybody is. 
But let's jump into the offensive line because this is an area Andy Reid, an offensive lineman himself, one of the first couple of days I talked to him when he took this job seven plus years ago, he started talking about the offensive line. Let's take the group that's here that is under contract that'll be going into 2020. And let's start with the tackles. You look at Eric Fisher last year, had the injuries, missed basically nine games. He started the Oakland game in September, but left after a first couple of plays. The Chiefs were 10-0 and with Eric Fisher. They were 5-4 and without him. And if you look at his level of play at left tackle, in many ways, other than maybe corner quarterback, the most difficult position in this league to play. The other side, Mitchell Schwartz. And Schwartz is vastly becoming the best right tackle in the National Football League. Let's just start with those tackles and what they were able to do. And then let's throw in Cam Irving, who was the swing tackle of his team. He played a lot with that Fisher injury, and you need a swing tackle in the National Football League. Usually seven offensive linemen are active on any given Sunday, and one of those has to be a swing tackle. Your thoughts on the tackle position of what we know is here and under contract as we speak. And I think Eric Fisher's a guy who's been very unique. Um, you know, we, we picked him number one overall. That's always big shoes, big boots to fill in. Um, he struck first couple of years, but then he got he got his he got his, his weight behind him, got his wing behind him. He started to build an anchor. We talk about offensive linemen having the anchor, being able to set that anchor and, and, and defend your side of the ball to protect the quarterback's blind side. Um, and over the last two years, so two seasons, he's had to protect the blind side of uh, one of the most uh, priceless commodities in the NFL, the new mm. face of the league, one Pat Mahomes. Um, and that's that's really big shoes to fill, and that's that's a that's a that's bearing the weight of the NFL, the world on your shoulders. Um, and Fisherman doing it, um, like you said, he's he, he over, overcame a few injuries during the season, missed a few quarters, um, and that allowed Cam. Um, Irvin to, to step in and show that he's uh, he was a great addition to the team also. Um, but the one thing, that the guy you, you, you mentioned was Mitch Schwartz. Mitch Schwartz, I know we got him listed as the right tackle, and he is, I think, the number one right tackle in the league, but he also might be top three tackles overall in the league, whether you're talking right, left, middle, up the, <laughs> around the corner, whatever you're talking about. Um, he has tremendous feet, tremendous balance. Um, his understanding of the game as far as when the ball is coming out, how long he has to hold a protection. And then he's able to run block all the different types of run blocks. And then we talk about the screen. He's able to do so much, so many things at a high level, at an elite level. Um, his value to this offensive line is one that's, I think, priceless. When you talk about who this offensive line is really built around, I think it begins and ends with Mitch Schwartz. Schwartz, Fisher together in the regular season, three holes combined mm. all season long at two positions, which are premium positions in the National Football League. In the interior, now to me, Stefan Wisniewski is a free agent. Chiefs picked him up midseason, didn't start him right away, but when they put him in the lineup, he never lost as a starter. To me, Ben Zobras with the 2015 Royals, their world championship team, this is what Wisniewski was to the Kansas City Chiefs. We know about Larray Duvernay-Tardif. I think he's only lost 13 times as a starter in his entire career. Um, Austin Ryder at center. The guys there. Now, Wisniewski is a free agent, so we know LDT and Ryder under contract. But those interior three. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you about these guys. And we're going to get to the crockpot guys here in a second because the way we're doing this is we're looking who's under contract, who's a potential free agent coming in or going out. We're looking at the crockpot guys, the developmental guys. But to me, 
what is required in an Andy Reid offense for the offensive lineman. Shop, to me, they must be agile. It's the old agile, mobile, hostile. They've got <laughs> to move. They have to move in this offense. People go, hey, is this a zone team? Yeah, they got a zone block. Oh, well, wait a minute. They run power O's. It's probably the best thing Laurie Duvernay Tardif does is do the inside guard to guard pull or the screen game. I mean, Andy Reid could go with Gordon Ramsay and have a food network screen network because Andy <laughs> Reid comes up with 400 <laughs> ways to run screens that don't even look like screens. The requirements to play offensive line uh, in this system, and I'm going to include intelligence because yeah. Andy talks about how smart these guys are, but to me that's a requirement. Otherwise, I don't think you can survive in this offense. Yeah, Andy's offense is is one of the things where he, he downloads everything to Pat, but then it's, it, it runs downhill. Everybody has to pick up on what we're doing, all the, 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 the minute adjustments. Um, they run so many different things out of so many different formations. Um, they double call and triple call some of the calls to, to give Pat as much flexibility with the offense as possible. And as an offensive lineman, man, you got to be ready to, to flex, be, be, be flexible and be able to adjust and be able to go from a, 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 a running um, stance and then in the, in, the, in the middle of a play, they change the call to a passing stance. So now you got to go from that same stance without moving, without getting the false start. And now you got to be able to retreat and block uh, Von Miller off the edge. Um, and no one's going to have any, 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 any hesitation. No one's going to have any uh, um, comfort in knowing that, that, that you can't get it done. You have to get it done because you're protecting one of the most valuable pieces in the NFL. So when all that comes together, all that pressure comes together, the one thing that matters, and like you said, the one thing that one of the most – uh, valuable traits, I think, with our offensive line is these guys have great feet. They have great balance, and they have a mind for football. They have to know how to take the right angles because linebackers like me, we look for linemen to get their uh, shoulders over their feet. They get too top-heady. Um, they get too much money, their own momentum going, and then you can use that momentum against them to slap them by the ball and then undercut them or go back door on them. Um, our guys have, have, have great angles, and I think a lot of that has to do with Coach Andy Heck. Mm-hmm. Coach Andy Heck being a former offensive lineman, um, he knows about the proper footwork, the proper one-two step, how you start a play is how you finish it. You got to start a play on balance with the proper footwork, and you end the play um, – um, in that same demeanor, um, keeping that defensive, uh, all those defensive players from taking free shots on your offensive guys. Andy Heck, I'm glad you brought him up. To me, he's, uh, he's an interesting study. He's very patient, uh, maybe sometimes more patient than I would be, but it's a virtue <laughs> for him. I'm not very patient. But two, the fact that he's such a technician, and he, yes. he's willing to teach, because to me, teaching in the offensive line is such a big deal. The other thing is, this is interesting, people say, hey, offensive line is Patrick Mahomes' best friend. Honestly, the offensive linemen have all told me Patrick Mahomes is our best friend. Yeah. If i got to block you, there's no way I can block you for a half second. But if I had to block you, do I have to block you for a second or two seconds? And maybe for a second I can survive. Two seconds I got no shot. But with Patrick Mahomes, the ball's out. Yes. Yep. And so he's with Patrick Mahomes, he's one of the offensive linemen's best friend. He saves them from sacks. We, when we talk about that, because we see so many times in the league their young quarterbacks are trying to create something. They, 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 they stay with a play longer than necessity. Um, they, they aren't delivering the ball when they're playing foot hits. They aren't delivering the ball on time. Maybe the defense has done something to roll the coverage, took away their first and second read, and so now they're holding the ball. And most times, you know, we, we, we blame the offensive line for giving up a sack. 
a lot, more than half the time, no sacks are given up because the quarterback refuses to throw the ball away. They're not mobile enough to um, uh, re-engage and, and, and move the pocket to where they know the, the, uh, the, the soft area in the defense is. And then they don't have enough vision to keep their eyes down the field and to be aware of the, the pass protection breaking down. Pat has been able to do all those things at such a high level, it's almost making the rest of the league look bad. Uh, but it's good that he's our quarterback. Um, our offense line does a great job of knowing Pat, knowing on certain plays where he likes to move the pocket to, um, um, where he might uh, escape the pocket and recreate a new pocket. And, and you have to be able to do all that on the move without getting um, too anxious about going downfield and blocking because then you get a legal offensive man downfield. Or you don't get so heavy on the outside shoulder pad that when that defensive tackle, defensive end tries to disengage, you get a holding call. All of that plays into the same puzzle, and you got to be so. All, everybody has to be so, so so much on the same page, in sync, in the same coordination. And I think that's why this offense has been moving uh, at such an efficient level because everybody's on the same page. The offensive line is one of the most intelligent, nimble, quick, athletic, and they all love to just get grimy and play football. And they love to let let see that offense go. Um, and they take advantage of when that momentum's going. Um, they know they want to get that ball in and touchdown, but um, they're, they're such a smart group, and they all play together. These dudes caught fire, too. This offensive line caught fire uh, in the start of the playoffs, um, actually before that, really after Mexico City, um, and they start all get healthy. They're all working together. Wisniewski came in at that left guard spot, and, I mean, they were, they were on it. I mean, they were drilling dudes. Uh, and the other thing about Mahomes is his ability – to recognize the counter move after the snap happens. In that split second, fighter pilot second, Mahomes has that ability because dudes, then they're confused. I, you show me something pre-snap, boom, I get the snap. Now you show me something different. Well, I freeze, I hold, I wait, it's a sack. And with Mahomes, his ability uh, to recognize things so quickly and go to the second or third option or create a play uh, helps the offensive line. Okay, shop. To me, the offensive line, I talk about, and it, when I mention crockpot, it is not a, it's not a degrading term. It is to give you a word picture of guys in this league. It's not always just about the draft or picking up new guys in free agency. It's guys that you develop that you forget about. And we got a whole list of guys uh, on this team. When I mentioned on, we talked to the defensive line last week, Tim Ward, we forget about Breland Speaks being here because of his knee injury or picking up Anthony Lanier from the Chargers. Okay, offensive line to me, is the position group shop where the crockpot is the biggest. Bring guys into your system. Many times they're essentially a red shirt. Let me just give you some names here. Nick Allegretti, kid last year that was a uh, draftee from Illinois, came in on placement protection some, uh, filled in some. Martinez Rankin came in from the trade uh, with Carlos Hyde, was playing good ball when he had to fill in because of injuries, tore up his knee against Tennessee's working on rehab. I, I'm, I'm interested in this guy because I'm interested to see how his rehab goes and then his summer in St. Joe. Jackson Barton, Greg Sinat, Ryan Hunter are other guys in this category. I also tell people when they go to St. Joe, when they go to practice, watch the O-line, D-line work. <laughs> it's, it's collegiate wrestling. It's the footwork you talked about. It's the footwork, handwork, punch, counterpunch. It looks boring. To me, it is the thing for fans to watch uh, and for the offensive line. What about developing guys, putting them in the crock pot? Because here again is back to Andy Heck's patience yeah. and his teaching. Well, Andy Heck has to have an eye during training camp and during the offseason. There are certain things he's looking for. 
he's looking for guys that are trending up. He's looking for guys whose footwork is getting better, whose balance is getting better, whose um, technique is getting better. Because as a coach, you can only give the guy so many tools, so many drills to work on. Eventually, the guy has to take it, and he has to take it to heart. And he has to take it so he forces himself to progress and grow and get better as a player. There are some guys in this league that once they get to the league, they feel like they arrived. Hmm. And those are the guys who just – um, 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 level off. They get no better. They don't. They don't get better as time goes on. And if you want to, you know, if you want to continue to get better in this league, you got to take your coaching seriously. You got to take the drills and the techniques they're talking about, and you got to work on them beyond just the practice field. Hey, we know we got the new CBA coming. They're gonna dial back practice again. Less hitting, less contact, less one on ones. So when are you gonna have time to find out if, if a guy is really able to go play on that field? And when you're talking about the guys in the crock pot, these guys. Sometimes it takes two seasons of them, and they don't even get any playing time on the field. They just um, uh, it's, it's only practice tape you have to go off. So that's why these OTAs, the organized training activities that happen during the offseason, are so important with these young, growing players because they're not only developing their own skills, but as far as from coaches, the confidence the coaches have in them that when somebody goes down, which one of these guys at the crockpot are you think? is prepared and ready to go into the mix, go into the fire, and is ready to perform at a high level. We, we, we went through about six or seven starters and vets that, that, that were part of the team from last year that we hoped that are going to be um, part of the team next year. And then we just named another six or seven that are in the crock pot. That's mm-hmm. about 12 guys that we're going to have to <laughs> uh, 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 mix up and beat down and, and find out who's going to be the eight that come out of that mix, that melee. I mean, it's going to be a tough, tough job to try to get that uh, – that final roster prepared, and we got a draft coming. So it might be even more gas than that coming into the mix. So, I mean, I mean when you have so much talent um, in that, in that, and you're talking about that line of scrimmage and that offensive line, that, that's, that's, that's what every team wants. Every team wants to have great offensive and defensive linemen because they know if you win the line of scrimmage, you win most of your ball games. Again, at training camp in St. Joe, when you see the wide receivers, backs, and quarterbacks go work on seven-on-seven, seven, which is basically the passing game without the linemen, that means the linemen, the O-line and D-line, are going to another part of the field. Don't go watch seven-on-seven. Seven. You'll watch that most of the time. Go watch O-line, D-line, and watch how fascinating that is. The other thing Andy Heck does, which I find fascinating, and he does it even in the summertime. In fact, it's tricks some of the media that cover because he will do un- unrehearsed, mm-hmm. He'll go, uh, Holtus is down. Barbershop, you're in. Left tackle, go. Because he wants a real-life uh, drill. Yeah. And he will do that when the guys don't expect it. He'll do it in the summer in OTAs. He'll do it in mini camps. He'll do it at training camp. And all of a sudden, now you see at left tackle, Cam Irving or Nick Allegretti. You're like, why is Allegretti a tackle? Well, it's because Andy Heck's doing the fire drill. Because that happens in real life. Remember, only seven offensive linemen on the average are up during a game. Mm-hmm. That means you only have two backups. You have five guys at play. Well, this year in Tennessee, we had two guys go down within two or three snaps. And now you're only down to five. <laughs> but but that's what Andy Heck does. And I think it's fascinating to watch it. Yeah, and, and he does a great job of is that next man up mentality. And you mm-hmm. never know on game day how that's going to unfold. So you have to have guys ready to play two and three positions. And it talks about that communication, that trust, having one another's back. Um, you know what you have to get done as an offensive line. You know how how you have to work together to to get this front block, to get this defense, to give uh, enough time to get this ball off, uh, whatever the, the, the play takes. And as an offensive unit, 
even if it's not your best position, you know you got to go in there and get it done. You know you got to, if I got to, you know, make sure I stay with you for three or four steps before I go find help at other places, then I got to make sure I do that. I got to do it the same way the guy in front of me was doing it. Um, And the offensive line, man, we, we talk about balance. We talk about eye discipline. We talk about hand placement. Uh, we talk about having a great anchor. We talk about having great feet. I mean, it's, it's almost like it's so many things. It's such a laundry list of attributes a lineman has to have to be great. And I think that's why it's only a few really good ones in the league. We talk about great offensive linemen. Um, you have a lot of a lot of good guys. You have a lot of lot of lot of guys that are above average. But when you talk about great offensive linemen, you probably is only about five or six of them that could play any position across the line and get it done. Yeah, and with our offense. You just got to be able to handle everything uh, because of the comprehensive how comprehensive this offense is. All right, looking at the list of free agents, and again, this will change uh, dramatically. Yeah. Uh, but I'm just going to list the guys. I'm not even going to ask you your thoughts. I'm just going to throw them out there. But these are guys that are free agents: Anthony Costanzo of the Colts, uh, very underrated; Jack Conklin of the Titans. Uh, Tennessee's had a good offensive line for years. Joe Tooney of New England, a guard. To me, he's very interesting. Um, good player. Left tackle Jason Peters of Philly, well-known. Brian Balaga, oft injured. Played a lot with Green Bay. Graham Glasgow, the Lions at guard. Connor McGovern, Denver's a free agent. Missouri dude. Uh, has started the last couple of years for the Broncos. Austin Blythe of the Rams. Okay, I'm only going to ask you this about that. In that we all know, people that follow the NFL very closely know that every team has a pie graph. And in that pie graph, you have the salary cap. Yeah. How much of that pie graph do I invest in the offensive line? Now think about all the discussion we've had in the first 21 minutes of this podcast. But teams sometimes can overspend in this area. You have to find a, a I mean, it, this is a science. And this is where, to me, and, and you mentioned Brett Veach. And Brett Veach and his staff have done a great job with the offensive line. But you also have to be careful to have too much of your pie graph in this area because you're going to have to spend that in other areas because we all know what's coming with Mahomes. Yeah, and I think what we do is, well, and especially if we learn off what happened in history, right? History tells us that we're going to need extra offensive linemen. You can't just go, hey, I'm going to go 15 million per person across the offensive line because when those guys miss games, that means the guy who's filling in is going to be a minimum salary guy. And so when you talk about that offensive line, it's, it's not just five deep. You got to talk about how much money you're going to spend eight or nine people deep to make sure that the guys backing up your starters actually are quality guys that can go in and play and survive a game, survive a couple games until your guy gets ready again. Um, going back, you know, we look at right now, we got Fisher on the cap for 2020 at about 15.2. Mm-hmm. We got Swartz at 10.8. And then we got the doctor, LDT, at $9 million. I mean, that, that's a lot of money wrapped up in three guys. Um, and not to mention, you know, uh, the center rider is uh, 3.8. And then we got to think about what we're going to do with guard. I think, I mean, the smart move is to bring back, if we can, bring back both our guards. Uh, Wiley and uh, Wiss, if we can bring both of those back. I know Wiss, you know, age is getting up there. Um, but we should be able to get both of those guys, re-sign them for a, uh, a bargain price because they know they're coming back to a championship team. They're going to get postseason money. They're going to have the accolades. The offense they're already familiar with, so it's not like relearning the wheel. Um, and that, to an offensive lineman, I think means a lot more than most things. Um, trying to uh, integrate yourself to a whole new team, a whole new system, um, and then learning a whole new set of calls um, sometimes becomes mentally challenging, and it doesn't even allow you to show how good of a player you are on the field because you're thinking too much. 
once you learn an offense, you always become com- comfortable with it. And now you just got to go to training camp. Sometime getting back into a system you're familiar with, it allows you to unleash some of that hidden potential. And you actually move up the charts and become something a lot greater than everybody thought you would be. And I think that's the case with Swartz, Cam Irvin, guys that came from the Browns came to this team as kind of afterthoughts. People didn't think they were going to survive in the league, and then they flourish in this offense. They flourish under the tutelage of Andy Reid, Pat Mahomes, and, um, and, and uh, Coach a- uh, Andy Heck. And it's, it wasn't nothing different. It was the same ball of clay to work with, but here in Kansas City, because of the tutelage and because of the, the time and the patience, um, and you got, you got to give a little bit of credit to Coach Eric Bieniemy too. The the offensive staff worked together with these guys. They looked at their strengths and made sure that they, they were able to work on their, their strengths, their weaknesses, so they could all be uh, competent and 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 and, and, and complementary ball players. So I think that from a from a salary camp standpoint, I mean we know Pat's going to bring the house. We know we're going to have to pay that quarterback position. But besides that, you have to invest some real equity in your offensive line to protect that Ferrari in the garage. You know yes, what I'm saying? Sir. Absolutely. And, and Wiz, I'm not trying to get Wiz a new contract here, but to me, uh, there is, I always respected him when he was with other teams, Raiders, Eagles, but that dude is a caulking gun last year. I mean, he was caulking for this offensive line. And talk about these younger guys, he's almost like an assistant for Andy Heck. Yep. Because he's a technique. And then off the field, he's awesome. Okay. Now, the college guys, I'm just going to throw out names here. We don't have to talk about them, but I, I, I do want to – um, ask you in mass about this group, but I'm just going to go through them here. Some of these are premium guys. You'll go in the first round because you mentioned what we pay fish, but that's a premium position. We all yeah. know that. Go read the book, The Blind Side, or watch the movie. Um, Joshua Jones of Houston, University of Houston. Andrew Thomas, Georgia, probably the top-rated dude tackle. Jedrick Willis, Alabama. Tristan Wirfs, Iowa, interesting guy. Austin Jackson, USC. Becton out of Louisville. Then there's the guards. Um, Solomon Kinley, Georgia, Lemieux out of Oregon, uh, Logan Stenberg of Kentucky, Darrell Williams, Mississippi State. And then there's a guard, uh, local kid, Adenogy, um, Akeem Adenogy of Kansas, um, who was a four-year starter. I think at 48 straight starts for KU mm-hmm. as a guard. Because here's, here's what I'm going to ask you about. Um, and Tyler uh, Bedaz or Biddy. The guy from Wisconsin. Bedaz from Wisconsin. <laughs> I like him. Yeah. I mean, he's... Uh, Cushionberry LSU, but the center position, because we have seen rookie centers, and we had Austin Ryder there, we know that, but there are some potential rookie guard center combos. Remember, your two guys that aren't aren't starting in an NFL game got to be a guard center combo or a tackle 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 guard combo. There are some centers in this draft that I think are very interesting, uh, and the kid at KU is interesting. But what about in the draft? Finding a center guard combo. Let's we know a swing tackle. I want to ask you about the center guard combo and how valuable they can be. I think it's 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 a commodity to be able to get that center guard combo late in late rounds in the draft because like you said, the, the premium positions are the tackles. Everybody's gonna go after those top tackles, six six, six seven, mammoth guys, they three hundred and 60 pounds, long arms. You can envision them being the next Lane Johnsons, the next Mitchell Swartz, the next um, um, Fishers. But as the draft goes and all these other players, draft boards come down, all those guards and centers get pushed down the board. And then you have like a second-round guy still available in the fourth. You got a third-round guy still available in the fifth. And when it's time to pick, you start thinking about depth on that offensive line. You're able to get some guys that are really quality football players that can be studs, they can be pluggers, they can can come in and and, – 
uh, add depth to that offensive line, that attitude, and then you got to take them out back and do what Veach and those guys do: put a ball in the hand, see can they can they do the shotgun snaps, can they snap with somebody under center, can they make the calls, do they understand the the, the lingo and the language to be able to communicate protection um, like the centers are asked to do? Can they actually? You know, have that leadership to control the line, and you know we talk. The one thing that you know, rather he showed me that um, he was he played beyond his years. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he's playing the position like a ten year veteran. Mm-hmm. He's commanding offensive guys around. He ain't taking no jump from nobody. It doesn't matter who you line up in front of him. Um, he hasn't seen a dog, a defensive tackle that he don't like to get after. And that's the kind of grit and attitude that I think Coach Andy Heck, Andy Reid. You know, you say Andy Reid's an ex offensive, uh, old offensive lineman. Well, he he knows what it's about being in those trenches. He knows what what kind of war and attrition and battle you have to, what kind of attitude you have to have to survive um, in the trenches. And so they have a, such a great feel of the mentality and the makeup, the moxie those guys have to have, um, not to only survive but to thrive in the trenches. And I think that's what we're looking. We're looking for guys not to just be able to make the roster. We're looking for the next Pro Bowl guys, the, ne- the guys that are ready to take that, uh, take it to the next level. Um, and if you keep integrating those guys at the back end of your roster, man, I'm telling you, that offensive line, that line of scrimmage, you can dominate that. You'll consistently be in the playoffs punching tickets to the Super Bowl. A couple things as we close. When you played with the Chiefs and with the Eagles and the Redskins, but let's just take the Chiefs. Brian Waters – uh, and the Ring of Honor was not even drafted. The dude was a tight end at North <laughs> Texas, okay? Uh, Will Shields was a third-round draft pick. He's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, this isn't something, to your point, you can take in the first round. Two, and one final comment from you, the center position, what I've learned about it. Okay, think about the WASP play. Yeah. All right, we're going to run Jet 323 WASP. Okay, I've got to get on the center. I've got to get the play call. I've got to get the snap count. I gotta have a perfect snap to Patrick Mahomes at five yards. Perfect. Where he doesn't even think about it, right? Not even it's just like brushing his teeth. He doesn't think about it. Then I've got a where's the middle linebacker? Pat will you see him pointing out, or he'll point a call like 59, 59. Okay, that's the mic. We're counting off the mic. And our protections are such counting off that that beacon, if you will. So as a center, then I'm gonna make a line call. I that's might make right. an adjustment. This all happens within 15 seconds. So I gotta think the play call. I'm the center, play call, the snap count. I hear Pat barking out a signal, maybe an audible, and then I'm telling you, you're my left guard. I'm going blue spider, blue spider, blue spider, which means we're going to change even the protection within the protection. That is the center position in the NFL. To me, it gives me chills talking about it. It is fascinating, Barbershop, because if you get a dude that, and you talk about writer's nastiness, you get a dude that commands that position, oh my goodness, it's like uh, gold going up the mountain. And you think about how much we rely on Pat to make so many decisions and everything. If you get a center that can take a little bit off of his platter, just mm-hmm. a little bit that, that, mm-hmm. that he can just trust with the protection uh, and the shifts and the motions, that kind of thing, then that just allows his brain to continue to focus down the field on the coverage. And that allows him to, to focus on whether we, whether he likes to play and doesn't like to play. If, if we can do that, if we can get that type of uh, of, of, of commonality of, of, of mind frame between the center and, 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 and the quarterback position, then we thought we've seen the offense work in 2018 at a high level. We thought 219 championship level. That's just the tip of the iceberg. It's, you know, we talk about icebergs, it's, it's what's beneath the water you need to worry about. <laughs> That's what the Kansas City offense is. It's an iceberg. We've seen a lot. We've seen the championship. We've seen MVP during the Super Bowl. 
But but there's so much more to this offense. And if you get the right guys at the offensive line that can do some things, uh, that can change plays and change protections and allow, allow Pat to just worry about what's going on on the back end of the defense, and he doesn't even have to worry about any pressure up front or a late blissing linebacker or a defensive stunt move being being made, and he can just keep his eyes, stay in the pocket, keep his feet, and then just deliver the ball. It's 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 unlimited what the potential of this offense could be, and it might start with this 2020 draft class. Uh, you talked about some great guys. I'm really so interested, like the guy you said from Louisville, mm-hmm. uh, the six seven guy, yeah. uh, Isaiah Wilson from Georgia. He's a sophomore, but he's coming out. He's another six seven guy, um, and then the Bladass, the, the guy from Wisconsin. I mean, I think I think that he actually has a chance of actually being around in that third or fourth round. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we got to make an investment pick. That's that's a quality pick. I think you get a guy with second second round, first round quality skill level, but you're able to get him because everybody else is going for the the skill players. Everybody else is going for quarterback, wide receiver, uh, um, 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 defensive backs, linebackers, edge rushers. Um, those linemen as they slide down the board, man, you can really do some 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 future investing in your team by picking a great offensive lineman late in the draft. I think it's Biotic. I think it's. I'm trying to think now, but I, I check with. I've got people I know at Wisconsin. Team captain, um, super smart, super tough, fits the mold. He's a guy that even if you didn't start him right away, could be a, a crockpot guy and maybe second year. Um, okay, sometimes Omega leads to Alpha. And I'm going to ask you a question as we close, and it's really a yes or no question. You've played ball since bitty ball, right? You've played since – when did you start playing football? Actually, I played Little League, but I didn't start playing organized ball until 11th grade. But when were you interested in it? Oh, like, man. Like, I'm playing out on the farm. Imagine I'm Lenny <laughs> Dawson when I'm in eight years old. And I, I, I lived in the cul-de-sac, and we had actually a circle. We called it a circle. Me and eight other guys in the neighborhood, we met in a circle five times a week with one football. We threw it up, um, throw it up and run. Whoever caught the ball had to try to score where the other seven guys tried to tackle him. We did that every other day, um, all my youth. I love that. I love it. But I'm going to ask you this question as we close. Have you ever seen a good football team with a bad offensive line? There's no such thing. That, that the definition of a good football team starts. Part of the definition of a football team, a great football team, is a great offensive line. They, it's synonymous. There is no such thing as a football team you've ever seen going anywhere in the league that didn't start with their guys up front. If you can't keep your quarterback upright, if you can't create gaps and running lanes for your, your, your running back to go through, then it's, it's, it's a non-factor. Look at the offensive lines that ended up in Super Bowl last year, ours and San Fran. They, they, did, they, they, were, they, were equally, um, they were equally yoked. You know, um, they could protect the quarterback. They could open great rushing lanes. Um, they kept their quarterbacks upright. Um, and the teams that are drafting first, second, and third in this draft are teams that couldn't do that. Um, and unfortunately, those teams will probably still pass on a lot of great offensive linemen because they're still trying to get these uh, uh, wide receivers and running backs and edge rushers. Um, they're getting these marquee positions because they think that's going to change the nature of their roster when realistically they should be drafting at the line of scrimmage offensive line defensive line that's where it starts every game started loving this game when I was seven and eight uh didn't play it at your level but I played it as long as I could I've covered division one for 40 some years and this will only be my 27th year in the NFL I'm going to affirm I have yet to see a good football team with a bad offensive line as we refit the backpack and sharpen the pickaxe for the climb back up the mountain, fans of the Chiefs' kingdom never, ever, 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 ever underestimate the impact and power of an offensive line. 
Barbershop, we'll do it again. We're going to go back to, we're going to go to linebacker next week. We're going to get right in your wheelhouse as we start that climb back up the mountain. Mitch Holtis with your voice of the Chiefs, Sean Barber, a.k.a. Barbershop, a.k.a. Shop, a.k.a. The Spider-Man. This is Defending the Kingdom. Get ready to refit the backpack, Chiefs Kingdom. We're going to do this again. Thanks for listening to the Chiefs' official podcast network. Ten, five, touchdown! Lock it down! And the celebration begins at Arrowhead.